Hi, thanks for joining us for this message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. We pray that you're blessed by it. If you'd like to know more about Red Church or its ministries, or if you'd like to support us financially, you can find out more by heading to connect.redchurch.org.au. Well, it's good to be with you. Uh, we're recording this on Thursday and uh, just look at the news before we uh, started recording this at lunchtime on Thursday. We just uh, noticed that there's a real point of conflict and concern in the world, which has been brewing over the last couple of weeks in Ukraine. We don't know what that situation will look like on Sunday when you're watching this. But at this point in time, as we're recording this, things look fairly grim. So we would like to pray. And uh, whatever it looks like when you're watching this, we just want to pray God's lordship over the situation in Ukraine. God, we bring this moment before you, this moment of heightened tension and conflict. And we just want to recognize that you are the Prince of Peace. And we pray at this moment that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray for the nations of Ukraine, of Russia, for the surrounding nations, for all the great powers, as the world comes together in this moment of great tension. And we just thank you, Father, that you're moving history towards your, your ends, that your way is gentle and kind. And Father, we pray into this situation, your gentleness and kindness, protect the innocents. We pray that you'll reverse this situation. We ask and pray this in your name. We pray for peace. Amen. We are in the final week of a series called Future, about God's future for us, God's future for you, God's future for the church. And we have been looking at a series of questions as to why does God have this wonderful future for us, yet often we fall short of that, both as individuals and the church. And one of the things that we're arguing, that for many people, their future, and for many churches and large parts of the church, that future is hampered, stymied by the problem of what we've labelled non-obedience. Another way of saying that is non-discipleship. Non-obedience is when the truths of Jesus are held by us. We affirm them, that they fail to trickle down into our lives through the conduit of obedient discipleship. Therefore, we believe the right things about Jesus, but we're not transformed into the image of Jesus. Now, in the second week, we discussed how this is a big problem all throughout the church because of a kind of false gospel which has bewitched us, to use the language of Paul. We've been bewitched by this false gospel which says to us that if you were really to follow Jesus with the whole of your lives, that actually, yes, that's a true and good way, but you would miss out on many of the pleasures and possibilities of our world and what it offers us today. Now, in contrast to this, as we dug into the scriptures and met that false gospel with the good, true news of goods, God's gospel truth, we learned that actually, in contrast, the most meaningful place, the most meaningful life is lived in the center of his will. That the best life is lived walking in his steps. That the most flourishing way that we can live is to become more like Jesus every day. And then last week, we looked at a way of doing that, that we need to change how we view our lives and we need to no longer see life just as the accruing of all these wonderful experiences. Instead, we need to reframe our lives, seeing our life as a garden, this biblical imagery all throughout the scriptures of plants and trees and growth. That's how we actually need to see how we live. And to finish off, I want to continue with that theme because I think there's more to mine out of this. 
So let's begin with the verse. We're just going to start with just the first part of a verse that we're going to dig into today, which is found in the book of James, chapter 5, verse 7. And it says this, See how the farmer, and farmers are a lot like gardens. They do very similar things at a different scale. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop. Now, last week we learned that we are called to be gardeners. It's hardwired into our being. It's what God called Adam and Eve to go forth and multiply, to cultivate and subdue, to, to tend and steward the earth. So this is in our spiritual DNA. This is in our, our identity. So gardeners is the role. But what I want to add today is that fruitfulness is the goal. Gardeners is the role, but fruitfulness is the goal. And that verse in James has this beautiful imagery of a farmer looking at this earth, which may look to the untrained eye, just like a bunch of dirt. But the farmer knows with the right things in place, the right environments, the right elements, that actually that dirt has within it the potential of a valuable, abundant crop. And so I want to say to you, there is a valuable crop. There's a valuable crop in places in your life, which may just seem like dirt at this point in time. In parts of the church, which looks like just dirt, there is a valuable crop. There is a coming harvest that is wanting to grow in the soil of your life, in the soil of his people. There is a future of fruitfulness promised to you as a follower of Jesus. There is a time of abundance for us if we're willing to learn Jesus's way and be obedient to his word. Now, Paul, in his letter to the Galatians, after saying that they had been bewitched, actually at the end of that book, encourages the believers in Galatia to remember that Jesus has now changed everything. This side of the cross, the fundamental elements of the universe have been changed. We now live in a different time, a new phase. We live under a new covenant. In Galatians 5.25, in the New Living Translation, says this, Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. And we can now operate knowing that this great shift has happened in the world. We can now operate living in the Spirit's steps. So that's the shift that the gardener needs to make. But sometimes we don't garden in the steps of the Spirit. We, because we're created in the image of God, because we have this imprinted primal role in us of this gardener, this steward, humans garden. They garden in many different ways. But often what we do is we fulfill that role in our own strength. We garden in our own strength. We garden in a drought. We get out and we try and whip our garden. The environment that we've been given, that we have responsibility over, we try and turn that into some semblance of order, but we do it in our own power. We try and cultivate and subdue. We try and reward and remove. We try and put the fertilizer on the right things and rip out the wrong things. But we do this under our own power. But when we do this in our own power, we lack the spiritual vision, the spiritual insight, the godly direction. We make errors and mistakes. The wrong things grow. The right things are often thrown out. Something is missing. 
when we guard in our own strength. And when we're doing this, we can also attempt to find meaning in our identity as a gardener in our own power, not as God's gardeners. We create a garden to point to our glory rather than God's glory. This can be the identity we find in our work, the way that we may put on display our public virtue, the way we may construct an outward identity to show to the world that we mean something, we're important. Often this comes from a root of insecurity. We feel that we lack something. So we go about glory chasing and stealing the glory that is actually meant to be God's. We seek to be good rather than reflect his goodness. Again, something is missing when we garden in this way. What happens is when we garden in our own strength, when we garden for our own glory, we go back to fruitless gardening. In the book of Genesis, in chapter 3, verse 17, we find Adam kicked out of the garden, the role that he's been given to steward and subdue the earth, to cultivate and tend it in the presence of God. That role now operates outside of the presence of God. He has been cast out of the garden. No longer in God's garden, there's a very different kind of task before him. Yes, he's still doing the role. He still has to operate in the earth, but things have radically changed. Listen to this. God to Adam, it's God speaking. God to Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree, which I commanded you, about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Listen to this bit. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles, and you will eat the plants of the fields. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat the food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and dust you will return. Adam's gardening, Adam's farming, Adam is trying to get something out of the earth, but something has fundamentally changed. There's an accursedness to this gardening. The ground is something which he ekes out a living under great strain and stress. But the ground is not truly transformed with great flourishing into the valuable crop that it really has. It doesn't offer up that valuable crop. And so what this says to us, that after the curse, without Jesus, without God's presence, all our accomplishments and gardening in our own strength, all our attempts to garden for our own glory, return to the unformed earth. It's interesting, there was an article the other day about statues across Melbourne. And the author was asking the question, why are so many of these statues that we find that were put up many over 100 years ago, why are so many of them men? And it's interesting, I walked around the uh, city uh, on the weekend and I began to notice, and two things I noticed. First of all, yes, most of them are men. There are some women, but most of them are men. And the question that author was asking is, you know, why is it not equitable? Why is there not a breakdown between men and women whose glory we want to recognize? But the second thing I noticed is if you look at most of these statues around Melbourne, you're like, who on earth are these people? Like the Earl or Marquis of something or other who did these things over a hundred years ago, who looks grand and wonderful on their horse in their regalia and their uniform and was part of all these institutions that did this and established that. But most of them you and I have never heard of and no one thinks about anymore. 
the statues are actually almost just pointing to their irrelevance today. Statues erected for their glory, creating the image of this person. So whatever you achieve today, the great stars of our world, be they great scientists or entrepreneurs or musicians or politicians, some may be spoken of in a century in history books, but the vast amounts of human achievement, of gardening in our own strength, of gardening for our own glory, actually ends up completely returning to the dust forgotten. And this is what this verse is saying. This is a returning to the original state that we find the world in the Bible. When we guard in our own strength, in our own glory, we end up stuck in that returning to the unformed earth. We end up stuck in the fruitlessness of the past and nothing moves forward. There is no future to harvest. So what is missing? A key element. When we garden in our own strength and power for our own glory, we garden in a drought. Those who step back into their God-given, God-given role to actually garden for God's glory, when we do that, we need the rain. Now, to read the whole of the verse that we began with in James chapter 5, verse 7, it says this, See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. Patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. Now, this metaphor, the rains, the spring rains, the autumn rains, in other translation, the early and later rains, these point to something more. Hosea chapter 6 verse 3 also speaks of these different kinds of rain. And this is speaking in the Old Testament. It says this, Oh, that we might know the Lord. Let us press on to know him. He will respond to us as surely as the arrival of dawn or the coming of rains in the early spring. The biblical key to understand what is going on with these rains is to understand that they're a metaphor for God coming close and God blessing us with his presence. And so the gardener needs rain to fall, but we also need the rain. As God's gardeners gardening for his glory, we need the living water of the spirit that Jesus promised. For too long, too many of us, too much of the church has actually been gardening in a drought. The gardeners of God need the spirit of God to fall. Because gardeners garden in God's presence and power. Paul preaching to the bewitched Galatian church who were trying to be gardeners in their own strength through turning back to the ways of religion. Paul asked them in Galatians 4.9, how is it that you're turning back? We cannot go back to the past, to the drought. The future is breaking into the present. And this is why there's good news when we read the words of Jesus. In the Gospel of John, we read in chapter 7, verses 37 to 39, Jesus is teaching in the temple courts and it says, On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, he's saying something really important that he wants as many people to hear. He says this, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, 
whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not been glorified. So Jesus is speaking of a time, a new covenant, a new phase in world history where the Spirit, the rain, will be present for those who follow him. Jesus tells his disciple in John later on in chapter 14, verse 26, that when he goes, another one will come. The verse says, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all the things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Now that remind language is really key. What we see when we read the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, is we see that continually the people who know the ways of God forget the ways of God and become disobedient. And what Jesus is saying here, that's not going to happen to those who fully follow in his steps because one is coming, an advocate, a champion, a counselor, a companion, who's actually going to help us remember. So the Spirit will come to guide and empower your obedience. If you've been following this series up to this point, and like, okay, I'm getting this, the church has got a problem with non-obedience. The answer is how to be more obedient. Okay, I know I need to do that, but I'm tired, I'm exhausted. I've tried that before, Mark. The point I am making today is you don't have to be obedient just in your own strength. Jesus promises to send someone who will make you obedient, empower your obedience. So this is good news. You don't have to do this alone. You don't have to do this in your own power. We are called to garden, to cultivate, to subdue, but we're called to do that in his presence and in his power. Now, gardeners who do this, gardeners sow seeds, farmers sow seeds, and God's gardeners sow in the Spirit. In this new phase of history, we sow in the Spirit. See, without the guidance of the Spirit, the wrong things can still grow in our gardens. Even when we ignore a garden, it still has an effect upon the garden. Even when we ignore our God-given role to be a gardener, stuff's going to grow. Think of the share house of guys who have moved out of home for the first time. All through their teen years, they were made to go and pick weeds and garden. They hated it, mow the lawns. And finally, they get a house of their own. Like, forget that. We're not going to garden. We're just going to pull the blinds down and we're going to play PlayStation and we're never going to garden. Now, after a year of that, do you think that nothing will grow in their garden? No, their garden will grow but it's going to be all the wrong things. It's going to be weeds everywhere. And the good things will probably have died because they've not been tended. And things will be growing out of whack. And this is what happens. So we're seeing this contrast now. When we garden in our own power, when we garden for our own glory, or even when we abdicate and neglect our role as God's gardeners, the wrong stuff grows. The things of what scripture calls the flesh the things of the world, the things opposed to God. So non-gardening is still a form of gardening. So Paul writes in Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 to 9, a man reaps what he sows. And remember, man here is linked to Adam, the first man. It's linked to the one who was given earth. So we can also see this is saying a gardener. 
a gardener or a man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows, though, to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, obedient disciples, empowered by the Spirit, cultivate and subdue. We've learned that gardeners reward by fertilizing, by tending, by taking care of certain plants so they can come to growth. And they remove the bad. They throw out weeds. They put them in the green bin and let someone take them away. They tend, but they also take to the tip. The same goes with our life in the spirit. We sow into, invest, and tend the life of the spirit in us whilst removing the flesh. This is what disciples do empowered by the spirit. So to end, I really want to encourage us that actually with this new era that we are living in, this era where God has given us his spirit to empower us, to to be obedient, that it's really key that we realize that the work is not yet done. Paul's encouragement in Galatians 6 there is, let us not grow, grow weary in doing good. At the proper time, we will reap a harvest. And I think at a moment like this in Melbourne, in which we've been in, there's a lot of weariness, but we need to see things with a spiritual perspective of where we are at. The work is not done yet. There is no resignation in the garden of God. Resignation, giving up, is actually the enemy of renewal. And resignation is often born of frustration. To return to our key verse, James 5 verse 7 reads, See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop. The farmer must wait, adjusting themselves to the growth process. It's not an event. It's a dynamic process that the farmer must change and work around. The scriptures show us phases of growth and seasons of the spirit. Now we see this in the scriptures references to different types of rain, the early and latter rain, the autumn and spring rains. These are actually linked to the meteorological conditions of first century Palestine. James verse 5, 7, to go to it again, says, See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. Now, what's interesting is these two different kinds of rain actually stimulate different kinds of growth. The early rains or the autumn rains in Palestine actually ensured that the seeded land that the farmer had just put seeds in would begin its growth cycle. The seeds would sprout and germinate and the process of growth would begin. Some of you need those early rains. For some of you, this journey hasn't begun. For those who may be watching and you do not call yourself a follower of Jesus, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit comes to you with those early rains. For the seeds that may have been placed in you, perhaps hearing God's word somewhere, being drawn to the good news of Jesus, that actually the beginning of growth occurs. Some of you might be listening or just 
for the first time being turned on to the reality that you want to follow Jesus with the whole of your life. Maybe you've been sitting in church for years. My prayer is that the early rains come to you, the autumn rains, and they take the seeds that have been planted in you, perhaps prayers that people have prayed for you over decades, perhaps your grandmother prayed for you, that actually that the rains come and stimulate and germinate growth in you. Many of us have memories like that. We think about those early days. Maybe it was when you're a young adult, maybe a teenager, and those first seeds were germinated in your life. You first had those experiences of those early autumnal rains of the spirit, high moments, perhaps a a camp plus, maybe praying in a small group with a bunch of other sold out for Jesus young adults. But for some of us, we only know the early rains. Now in Palestine in the first century, the later rains, the spring rains also needed to come to ensure that a harvest actually moved from germination to its final stage of yielding its valuable crop. The later rains, the spring rains, takes the growth to maturity. So you need rains to kick it off, which happen in autumn, but then you need in spring the rains which actually bring the process to its fruition. Without it, the early growth will fall away. The Spirit comes not just to initiate growth in us. So that's how some of us think. Yeah, the Spirit, I remember those heady days of many years ago. But also the Spirit comes for the second half. The Spirit comes to kick on the growth to actually bring us to maturity. This is the second season of the Spirit that needs to come, I think, in many people's lives who are watching this. People who look back, remember what this series is called. It's not the past. It's not the glory days. It's not the halcyon days of decades gone by where the Spirit felt close. No, this series is speaking of the future, of the growth and renewal that God wants to bring, even for those who have actually resigned themselves that their garden is not going to grow, that the valuable crop will not come out of that earth. We need that empowerment for the second half. I think many of us need it, and we need it as a church. I think at this moment when many of us can become cynical and in this city we can often be cynical, we actually need a vision that God wants to bring both early and later rains, that God wants to bring rains in autumn and in spring to us because he wants to actually see us transformed into the people that he's called us to be, to be his gardeners in the world for his glory, taking the environment of our lives Whatever God has given you, the relationships, the responsibility, the time, the possibilities and the limitations, whatever the size of your garden plot that God has given you, there is a valuable crop for those who patiently wait for the rains of the Spirit. And we can pray for rain. We can pray for expectation that God will bring that rain down. I want to end with a scripture and a blessing from the book of Isaiah that's also, I think, a prayer. It's from chapter 58, verse 11. And I'd love to just read and pray this over all of us as we end this sermon and we end this series and as we prepare for Lent to begin. The Lord will guide you always. 
He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. Sun-scorched land. That's very much like the land that we live in. And will strengthen your frame. Strengthen your body, strengthen your soul, strengthen you. Some of you need strengthening at this time. Not the myth of our culture of endless ads telling you you're wonderful and every possibility is before you and you're powerful and strong. Not that kind of strengthening. The strengthening that comes from the Holy Spirit. You will be like a well-watered garden. Like a spring whose waters never fail. Amen. Come Holy Spirit and make it so.